What Came Next is intended for mature audiences only. Episodes discuss topics that can be triggering, such as emotional, physical, and sexual violence, suicide, and murder. I am not a therapist, nor am I a doctor. If you're in need of support, please visit somethingwaswrong.com forward slash resources for a list of nonprofit organizations that can help. Opinions expressed by my guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of myself or Broken Cycle Media. Resources and source material are linked in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. Koa Johnson is a couture gown designer hailing from the island of Maui, Hawaii. After attending fashion school, he hit the ground running, designing dresses for pageant queens and the New York elite. However, it wasn't until his journey brought him to Salt Lake City that he would face his most challenging task yet, freeing himself of alleged professional, emotional, and mental abuse at the hands of a well-known reality star. Koa's story was briefly shared on The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker, but today he's sharing his harrowing story on what came next. I would describe myself as hardworking, dedicated, loyal, and respectful. I am 32 years old. I was born and raised in Hawaii, Maui specifically. I put 110% into my craft, my skills, and talents. I went to fashion school when I was 18 years old, graduated in 2011, started my business doing custom wedding gowns and pageant gowns for a few years in Hawaii. It was a great experience. What I loved most about pageantry was how it was a competition. I also felt that I was competing with my clients. I got that thrill because it was such an adrenaline rush. To see the reactions of people in the audience and feeling that energy in the room when your gown is on that stage, that's the enjoyment I got out of pageantry. Then I kind of got to a stopping point because I wanted to learn more. So I decided to move to the East Coast. I started working for a few designers there, which was such an eye-opening experience. Then I made my way back to Hawaii to visit my parents. Right when the pandemic hit, I couldn't go back to New York City. A friend of mine from Utah reached out to me. He is also a designer. He hit me up and was like, hey, I am working with a real housewife for Bravo. I would love for you to come up, work with me and help me out starting this business with her in fashion, creating this line of clothing. And of course, I jumped for joy. It kind of was like, okay, great. It's an opportunity. I'll stay there for a month, see how things pan out with this pandemic and see if I can make my way back to the East Coast. Making that transition during a pandemic, isolation played a huge role in my decision making. When I landed, my friend took me up to this housewife's home in Park City and I got to meet her. It was such a beautiful experience. I got to meet her family, her aunts, her nieces and nephews. It just made me feel like I was still in Hawaii. Because she was Hawaiian and a lot of her family members were from Hawaii, I was able to connect culturally. It felt so refreshing being in the mainland, especially in Utah, being far away from home and still having that feeling of family. 
That was the first day I met Jennifer Shaw. She was very endearing, very alluring. A lot of promises were made during that time. I came up with a written agreement that she agreed to as far as payments, what my expectations were for her and her business. I also got to meet her business assistant, who is Stuart Smith, who also pled guilty and will be going to prison. They were all very pleasant to me. We were making a transition over from her old designer. They had a falling out. When I started working for her, she actually threw me my 30th birthday at her first chalet. I thought I was coming over to discuss business stuff at her house, but she hired me a stripper. I didn't attend the filming of season one, but I did all the prep work that was needed to actually launch the new franchise of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. They were coordinating around the pandemic. I was able to transition into that position for her because they still needed to film for her intro dress and the cast photo shoot. I did other looks in between for her confessionals. And then the final look that I did for her was her reunion dress. But as we made our ways throughout the months that I was with her, I started to see this human being become inhumane because of the pandemic, because of my talents and skills and the way my work ethic was. I think she saw the opportunity to draw me in. I think the control factor came around that time. And then it evolved into the abuse and manipulation. It started very small about certain things that she didn't like as far as work-wise. The type of person that I am, I like to hear constructive criticism that is given to me and make corrections to it so I can better my craft, better my relationship with my client. So that's what I did. And it just started to evolve more and more into her nitpicking these smallest things and blowing them up bigger than they really should have. It was excuse after excuse, a lot of projection, deflection, and gaslighting. One day she'll be happy and pleasant, and then the next day she would just be completely a monster. It was always a constant roller coaster of emotions with her. And I never really understood it. There were multiple times that she did abuse me and other colleagues of mine. She threw a bowl of chili at myself and a few other colleagues that were present at that time. It just became such a normal thing. And I, I, I'm like lost for words because there were so many instances where she behaved like that, if not worse. She threatened to punch me, flipping out on another night. It was to the point where she would do it in front of people. She would try to embarrass me and people would look at that and be like, oh my gosh, are you okay? In my head, I would shrug it off like, no, that's normal. I'm fine. But then I started to see my coworkers that were around recognize the way she treated me. She not only treated me this way, but she treated a lot of my other colleagues that way. Being told that you're a piece of shit, that you're not good enough, that you don't produce great work, to be told that constantly and to be threatened, to be ruined by this woman because she held such high power. I think I started to believe that. I started making the excuses for her why her actions or behaviors were like that. I would take care of her. When I say take care of her, I not only made her gowns, I would take her home when she was passed out after drinking two bottles of tequila. I don't think people will realize I was not just a stylist for a designer that she would see once every so often. I practically lived with her. I put her to bed. I would wake her up. I would help her do daily tasks and I would drive her around sometimes too. So I was doing personal assisting things, plus being just a good person to her. It blurred the lines between professionalism 
it was definitely personal. And that's why I took it so personally. My whole existence in Utah was to work for her. Then the financial part started coming into play where she didn't want to pay me what I was asking for. She was paying me up to September of that year, and she just could not pay me shortly after that. We had a discussion. She claimed that she was financially stable. I continued working with her, even though she was not paying me and was not compensating me. She was still able to buy hair and makeup and buy other things that she needed for filming and just to function. She lived in this huge house. She drove a Porsche. She had nice bags, closet full of clothes. So you aren't able to compensate me, but you're able to compensate yourself. It just didn't make sense to me, but I was so involved in my work and what I was doing. Especially in fashion, that is the vibe. Everybody comes there to hustle, to work hard, to make all your dreams come true. And that takes a lot of dedication, hours and hours. I would work sometimes 80 hours a week, night and day. It was nonstop. That was the type of work ethic I built while being in New York City. So to apply that to another job is the same mentality. Work to the bone, work to exhaustion because the results are going to be amazing. But there was no outcome. It was a quick moment of gratification and then total torment and chaos and little spurts of gratification in between. And it just never made sense to me. At one point, I was just like, I'm panicking. I'm having anxiety about, oh my gosh, she's going to freak out today. It kept me on the edge constantly. It was constant torment. We had worked all day, all night, and she was still not happy. I'm literally trying to put out one fire and another fire while everything's up in a blaze. That's how it would describe my time with her. Just constant chaos of things up in smoke and flames everywhere. Even under those circumstances, I still completed my job. The last two months that I worked with her, which was November, December, segued into January, was the worst time because she was so radical, so extreme. I believe the money was gone and that we were scraping as far as trying to make her appear as this lavish, rich woman on this show. Myself and a lot of my colleagues sacrificed a lot of our time, our mental well-being, our physical well-being, our health, just to make this woman come across as the person that she believed who she was. I went to reunion with her. I was at the point where I'm like, I don't care. I did my job. She has her dress. I knew when I left her at the filming studio for the reunion, I was not going to be working with her after this. I'm done. I completed my job. I did what I told myself that I was going to do. I'm relieving myself of any more responsibilities to her. And then I literally escaped Utah. I left two days after I came home from New York where they did filming and I left to Hawaii. I only told one person where I was going. I didn't tell my parents that I was even there until I landed. I finally was able to just process everything that happened during my time with her and really evaluate everything. I wrote to her my exiting letter and why I quit. I'm sure it's on social media still. I gave all my reasons and I said, I'm not coming back, but we can have that conversation if you want to. And I CC'd her husband and another colleague of mine. I believe Stuart was in that message as well. I came out with my story with my evidence saying that this is how I was treated. I had the evidence to support what I was saying and putting out there in social media. She was not very happy about it. 
then she started to be very nice and pleasant and tried to draw me back in, tried to sell me on this idea that season two is so close and it would be such a waste if you just threw it all away because she was in a position where she needed help. She needed looks and things to be done for her. She had other people reach out to me. She had some of my other colleagues that were still working for her at the time reach out to me. She had a guy that I dated before reach out to me and he and I went south a long time before that. I'm not kidding. She responded with text messages, but she never actually called me. I'm just thinking about it now. I'm like, but she had everybody else call on her behalf. Gosh, that is so weird. Like, why am I watching this 48-year-old woman act a fool like a child? I don't remember that in my job description. I don't remember that in my agreement that I signed up for. The light bulb went off in my head. When I physically removed myself from the abuse and toxicity, I knew that I can repair myself and thrive with the people that I surround myself with. People who love, respect, and contribute to my life positively. That helped tremendously. It was such a great way of fresh air to feel that again when I was neglected of it for so many months. That's where I was like, I need to say something. I need to do something before it gets worse. I left her January 11th, 2021. I physically have to remove myself out of that. And I know it takes a lot for people to get to that point of removing themselves from a toxic situation, an abusive situation like that. From January to March 30th, somewhere in between there, that recording was released out on social media. So that stirred up a whole entire thing. My social media just went off and people were contacting me, asking me if I was okay. We saw the video, we saw the recording, we heard everything else. I was still dealing with all her supporters saying that I'm a liar and I was stealing every excuse in the book. I was dealing with all of that part from January all the way up to her arrest in March. She got arrested on March 30th, 2021. I'll always remember that day because it's the same day as a colleague of mine that it was her birthday and she no longer worked for Jen at that time either. I just remember that day we had a fucking party. And then when she got arrested, it was kind of like, wow, how crazy because the past two months before she got arrested, it was just constant torment, constant threats, constant being bashed on social media. So when she got arrested, it was such a weight off my shoulders in a sense because it solidified everything that I said. It made a lot of dots connect as far as why she wasn't compensating me. It answered a lot of things. Getting that news that day, a lot of my colleagues and I were like, wow, we just dodged a bullet. We would have been there when the <laughs> SWAT team came to her house. What I really empathize with is the victims, the 55 plus year old senior citizens, knowing what she was doing and admitting to what she did. And she did rob me of money and my time. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but there were seniors that she was taking money from, either their social security or their hard earned money that they've made throughout their lifetime. When the producers at ABC that produced the Hulu documentary, The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker, they were asking questions about my experience when we did the filming of that documentary, it was maybe a year after she was arrested. So it was very new. 
I did have to submit a lot of evidence that did support what I did say in my interview. And there were a lot of legal things that my attorneys and theirs at ABC had to go through. So what was actually put onto the documentary, I think it did what it needed to do as far as the legal things that were presented. I did say a lot more, but I think they were very careful about what was put on this documentary because her case was still in litigation and she was going through that process of going to trial. But I do believe that ABC and Hulu did what they could with the information that I did offer them. Do you feel like it was helpful to be a part of the documentary? I absolutely believe that it was helpful being on there to tell my story, even if it was bits and pieces. It really was healing for me to just come out and say what I needed to say to get it out because it's been held in for almost a year at that point when that interview happened. I think that whole documentary brought awareness to other people that may work in the industry who have worked with clients who mistreated them and they still offered services and are being robbed not only of their time, their money, but their well-being. The recording that happened of her abuse and how she threatened to punch me and beat the shit out of me reiterated a lot of my feelings and made me go back to that moment of when that all happened. So to see it on the documentary was definitely trauma for me. But when my mother saw the documentary, I had to pause it because it made her so upset. My mom's such a huge influence and I look up to her. I love her so much. And she's supported me throughout my career in fashion. She has been my fashion mother as well. So that hurt me a little bit because I'm seeing my mom getting upset and sad that her son is being treated this way. When I came home, she saw what state I was in and it was definitely hard for her to see that because it was very traumatizing for her to see it in the documentary. She had to live that nightmare again. I think the follow-up of that is she continues to support me. She's still one of my biggest fans. A lot of my friends here knew about it and they understand the situation. They were very supportive. Being back home in Hawaii has helped tremendously through that healing process. I will continue that healing process even up to now where she's pled guilty. That's another step to healing and coming to a point of peace with myself. So mid-July, she is out and about living her last of her best life. I believe the court document that was put out and was explained to me by my attorneys was that she pled guilty on one account that she was being prosecuted for by the state prosecutors. That arresting was the beginning of something. It was the ending of one thing, but the beginning of something else, if that makes sense. It evolved into a whole nother journey of part of my healing, a lot of my colleagues' healing, of watching our abuser, the person that completely robbed us of every resource in our life seeing her pleading guilty and then, of course, being sentenced. Two years ago, I spent Thanksgiving with her and her family, and I don't know what she'll be thankful for this year. According to her plea deal, she can face up to 14 years in incarceration and no less than 10, and she cannot appeal. It's in the back of my head because that's where I kind of leave her. She does not contribute anything to my life positively and presently. It does give clarity on the situation that, okay, she will be given her sentencing and then more healing. But it's just that waiting time from now until that time and her just living her life out in the public. It's very difficult for a lot of my colleagues. But for myself, I think it's important for me to disassociate from knowing that she is just out and about living her best life. 
I think it puts perspective for myself that she will be going away because you're just waiting, but it's not going to stop me from continuing to live my life to the fullest. I'm not going to give her that power of putting a hold on my life, but I think it also allowed me in the midst of this chaos and everything that I've been through to go at a slower pace to really process everything that's been happening within the past 32 years of my life and gain perspective of what direction I really want to go into, knowing the experiences I've experienced over the years. I really truly and authentically live my life to the fullest. Now, that's why I'm building my house, restructuring my life, going on and traveling, really setting goals in the long run. But for her, it's not the same. 10 to 14 years of her life has already been set in stone for her. And that part brings peace to me. What does the rest of your healing process look like now that that relationship has ended? I actually reached out to a lot of my colleagues who also face the same abuse and received it in their own way. A lot of my colleagues are going through their healing process. We're able to form like a little group of victims that were abused and were mistreated by her. I get to talk with them on a personal level rather than when we were working together, working with Jen. It was a totally different dynamic. Even us processing that we were not compensated and still seeing her living this lavish life for a few seasons. Supporting one another in this process is definitely healing for me because I get to listen to them and I get to hear them out and process with them. I get to create a closer bond and unit with them besides us just knowing each other from working with Jen Shaw. The underlying parts of it was I got to meet them. I got to really know them. I have created some of the best friendships and family relationships with them. That for me is healing in all of the chaos. That's really where my journey is at right now is more self-discovery. I'm at a point in my life where I can now talk about it. I think it's good for the listeners and viewers to understand. Honestly, part of the healing is that my experience will inspire someone else. And it's good to have that feeling of telling our stories in hopes that it would inspire someone to leave the abuse that they're being faced with. I wish there were laws that those type of shows would require them to fire them, release them, or relieve them for their actions and behaviors. I would like to see that more enforced, especially on these reality TV shows. I feel like if people in those kind of working situations where they have witnessed abuse from the abuser and are still supporting them and enabling them in that type of environment, they need to be held responsible as well, I believe. That is an excellent point. Something I talk about a lot is how important it is to create responsible content. But in the same vein, I think it's important to discontinue supporting abusive creators or entertainers. What do you wish people knew about workplace abuse or professional abuse? If you start to feel that you're being mistreated, really trust in that feeling of mistreatment, address it. Because if it's going to continue to be projection and gaslighting and all these things, then it's going to be a repeated offense. Just know that just because this quote-unquote celebrity may bring your credibility, it doesn't mean that you won't be able to get more work because you don't work with the individual. I think it's knowing who you are, trusting in your talents and skills that you will receive other people that will respect you. If it doesn't work out with the individual, you can leave. I think that's the thing that I took away from this. It's knowing your worth to really understand that you're worth more than what that individual is willing to offer you. You can find what you deserve and what you can be respected with somewhere else. You are an advocate, a designer, a creator, and just an overall amazing human being. 
I feel really honored to be having this conversation with you, and I appreciate you being willing to do so. I know so many people are going to relate to your story and are going to admire your willingness to share. Where should people find you if they want to reach out? Does at Designer Kojo on Instagram work for you? People can contact me there. Thank you, Amy. Thank you again, Koa. Jen Shaw is a former cast member of Bravo's Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which is the 10th series in the reality television franchise that consists of 11 American installments, 19 international installments, and 23 spin-off shows. The franchise depicts the lavish personal and professional lives of affluent women residing in or around a certain city. Jen Shaw made quite the reputation for herself on the series by being highly confrontational, throwing very ostentatious events, and continuing to appear on the series despite facing criminal charges. A rather explicit video of the abuse Koa faced at Jen Shaw's hands appeared in the documentary The Housewife and the Shaw Shocker. In the video, Koa's former boss tosses a bowl of chili towards his direction and berates him with foul, horrific language. Another soundbite was released via social media around the same time. In it, she says verbatim, We're gonna put on boxing gloves and I'm gonna beat the shit out of you in like two seconds. That's how pissed off, hurt, upset I am. In his exit letter to Jen, Koa wrote, I am taking a break to reevaluate my time here in Utah. It saddens me to leave on such short notice, but I feel hurt, used, and unappreciated. My entire existence in Utah was to create beautiful things for you, but to my dismay, it was not good enough and became an issue of trustworthiness and miscommunications. Koa went on to write, I'm also saddened that you would speak poorly of me to my colleagues when I've tried my hardest to give you the world. With the many hours of sleepless nights with my intern sewing, to the lonely and stressful nights with you when no one else was there when you needed help the most, I have never asked for money nor financial compensation since September for my time spent, but I've also never gotten the credibility or acknowledgement of my work that I deserve either. What hurts the most is the dismissal of my worth to you and the doubt of loyalty I had for you. You will always be my sister, but I don't think I'm able to be your designer. I appreciate the opportunity and I've made beautiful things for you during my time here in Utah, but I don't want to be made to feel like a constant failure. Koa also shared Jen's response with me, which included lines like, Don't give up, Koa, because you're so close and you'll be throwing everything away that you worked hard for these past months. It's finally coming to fruition. Which is, in essence, textbook gaslighting. Jen Shaw was accused of running a nationwide telemarketing scheme that largely targeted senior citizen victims. In July of 2022, over a year after her initial arrest, she pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. She agreed to forfeit $6.5 million and to pay over $9 million in restitution to her victims. She admitted that she knew the wire fraud misled victims. When asked if she knew what she was doing was wrong and illegal, she replied, Yes, Your Honor. During the conviction and sentencing process, Jen Shaw was out on bail and active on social media. On January 6, 2023, Shaw was sentenced to six and a half years in prison and five years of supervision after her release. According to Vox.com, she will have to surrender herself to prison on February 17, 2023. Professional abuse is widely unreported and extremely pervasive. 
signs of professional abuse include consistent, intentional behaviors such as emotional manipulation, verbal insults, public humiliation, isolation, intimidation, the silent treatment, and more. Every year, millions of American workers report having been victims of workplace violence. In 2020 alone, workplace assaults resulted in over 20,000 documented injuries and 392 fatalities, according to the National Safety Council. The CDC reports that 70% of workplace abuse victims work in the medical and social assistance industries. The vast prevalence of workplace abuse exists because abuse requires an imbalance of a power in a relationship that occurs naturally at work. The cycle of abuse often persists by forcing shame upon the victim, which inherently keeps the victim from reporting the abuse. Repetitive emotional abuse can deeply affect one's mental health. If you suspect you or a peer are being abused at the workplace, please visit the business administration links provided in the episode notes to contact the correct office or official. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. What Came Next is a Broken Cycle Media production co-produced by Amy B. Chesler and Tiffany Reese. If you'd like to help support What Came Next, you can leave us a positive review, support our sponsors, or follow Broken Cycle Media on Instagram at Broken Cycle Media. Check out the episode notes for sources, resources, and to follow our guests. Thank you again for listening.